Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. All right, good morning. Happy New Year's. Thanks for being here today. Hope you had a great Christmas season. Wasn't that a wonderful service at Spreckles Organ Pavilion? last weekend and the musical. It's been a great, great time of the year. And uh, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. We've moved around quite a bit as a church, haven't we, this year? Had a lot of different service times. So I want to thank you for joining us today at Helix High School. We are following the cloud of God's presence. And he is leading us all over this town. And uh, next week, just so you know, we are meeting at our University Avenue location. So that is uh, where our office is housed. That's where our School of Transformation meets, where our healing room is. There's a 300-seat auditorium there that we'll be meeting in next week, and we'll have three services at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. So we'll see you there for those. And if you've been wondering what God's been doing in our spiritual community this year, I'd encourage you to look back at Pastor Robert's message from November, our year, which recaps 2017 very, very well. And Robert will be back next week as he's on vacation with his family this week. Okay, I think that's all my announcements. You ready to dive in? I think for followers of Jesus, a new year should always bring a new hope. should always bring fresh vision, right? Excitement about what God's going to do. And a new year for all of us will bring new opportunities. It might be, you know, a new job, new dreams, new promises from God, new relationships, single people. You know what I'm talking about? All right, might be your year, okay? So new, new opportunities, and at this church, we always look forward to the new season, to the new year, for what God's going to do in a fresh way. But unfortunately, here's what, what I found in my own life and other people's lives that I walk with, is not everybody always captures the new hope of a new year. We, we go into a new season, and sometimes, you know, Figuratively speaking, we can't get through the door because of the old baggage that we're carrying. We can't go into a new year, we can't go into a new season and have our old stuff hanging around. Two things can't occupy the same space. So there's things we have to leave behind. We have to deal with our disappointments. We have to deal with our grief. We have to deal with our regrets. We have to deal with our fears. And these things, if they're from the previous season of life, maybe a year, maybe a season, if they're not dealt with, then they're going to limit the promises and the faith and the provision that God has for the next season. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe you've been there before. I know I have. Personally, at the beginning of a year, maybe even just in my practical life, I'm always inspired to purge, to clean things out, right? You know, I'm opening that junk drawer that I'm so glad no one at my life group has opened in the last six months at my house because it's just full of papers and all kinds of stuff that I need to purge. I'm going down to my closets and my basement. I'm getting rid of stuff, and I'm making space for the new year. A spontaneous desire erupts in the heart of my wife to visit the container store and buy all those containy things that contain your stuff, and we're going to purge, and we're going to get organized, and we're going to get ready. We're going to declutter as we prepare for the new year. Maybe anybody else like that? They like to declutter. I think that's one of the reasons we love home improvement shows. We're, we're hardwired for transformation. Just as humans, we're hardwired for it. We love to see old things move away and new things come. 
It's just something we love to do. It's a way that God has made us. And you probably have your favorite home improvement show that you've seen before. Um, there's still hunting houses out there on House Hunters after like 25 seasons. But my, my, my favorite show, it's based in Waco, Texas, is Fixer Upper. Are there any Fixer Upper fans? So Fixer Upper, this is a great uh, home renovation show. And what they do is they take old homes in Texas and uh, that are kind of falling apart. They move out the old and they bring in the new. And one of the highlights of the show is what they call Demo Day. So Demo Day is when they come in and they bring the sledgehammers, they kick down walls, they pull stuff up, and they rip out all the old stuff and prepare for the new that's coming in. So some of our staff, Nikki and Jeanette, were in Waco for a women's conference last month, and they got me this hat, Demo Day, okay? I'm going to wear my Demo Day hat right now. Hopefully it fits. I have kind of a large head. But when they gave me this hat, it kind of made me think about my own Demo Day, a demo day that we went through in our own life when we renovated a house here in La Mesa. So it was just this time of year between Christmas and New Year's, and we had set aside some time to renovate our kitchen as a new thing was coming in. And it was very old and falling apart, and it needed a lot of work. And so my family actually stayed out of town, and I was by myself in my home, and I'd set aside these four or five days to do my demo day, to get rid of all of it and prepare for the new. And what I immediately have found, maybe you've found this if you own a home or had to work on a house before, is that demo day was a lot harder than I thought it was. It was not like TV. <laughs> so I woke up that morning, the morning of my demo day, and I was sick. I had the flu. So I had skyrocket fever. I had the chills. Uh, you know, I was just not in a good place. Had to go to urgent care, get a prescription, wasted a whole day on my illness. And I, what I found was the rest of the week that I'd set aside to do this demo, I was just totally lacking my strength. I didn't have the strength to do the demo day myself. And so that was the first obstacle that I encountered was my lack of strength and my illness. And then as I finally kind of got to work and watched enough YouTube videos to figure out, you know, quite, quite kind of where to start, I started pulling out some old appliances. And when I did that, I noticed that some of these appliances are powered by gas. Did you guys know that gas powers stuff in houses? Anyway, so I pulled out a, an appliance and I saw a gas line. I was like, uh-oh. I don't know how to do this. Am I going to blow up my house? What am I going to do? So immediately I panicked. I, I realized I did not have the tools or the knowledge necessary. I was not equipped for my own demo day. And if, if you're like me, whenever you do a home improvement project, it's if for every hour you spend on the project, 20 to 30 minutes of that hour is at Home Depot, just trying to figure out what you need to do the project. So I was making progress very slowly. Well, finally, we got the old stuff out. And it was time to bring the new in. So my family was back in town at this point, and there was a guy named Augustine that was coming in to install some drywall. He was going to put the first walls on this new kitchen so that we could bring in the cabinets and everything else. So Augustine was working all day. And there's a few things you need to know about my family. I'm married. I have a wife named Shelly, three kids, Ike, Jed, and Liberty. And I have a dog named Pepper and a cat named Chicken. And so in the middle of this scenario, my wife, who's a real animal lover, she says, you know, I haven't seen the cat in a while. And I'm kind of just like totally ignoring her. You know, I do not want to talk about the cat right now. This guy is working in our house. We're trying to get stuff done. Well, it gets to the evening when the cat typically comes inside and comes through the cat door and eats out of her little cat bowl. And she, my wife's looking around, hey, I still haven't seen chicken. Chicken's the cat, remember? So I know it's confusing. So I haven't seen the cat. Gets kind of to into the late evening. And then I start hearing it. Yeah. So I thought, oh, the cat must be stuck outside. Maybe we need to open a fence or something. Go outside. I'm not hearing it. 
I go back inside. We have a little basement. So I go down to the basement. Maybe the cat's trapped in the basement. Go down to the basement. Not really hearing it. Back upstairs, it's getting louder. Meow. And then we both look at each other, and we look at the wall of the kitchen. And earlier, when Shelly had kind of been worried about where the cat was, I had joked. I had said, well, maybe we drywall the cat into the wall. And unknowingly, it was a prophetic word. And we pressed our ears against the wall, and it was getting louder. Meow. Meow. You know, the cat is just, you know, crying for dear life at this point. And so at the very end, we thought we were done with demo day. We were not. We got to remove the wall and let the cat. Chicken was freed. And she was okay. She is still alive. No cats were harmed in the writing of this sermon. But here's what I found. Demo day was a lot harder than I thought it would be right? Demo day was a lot harder than I thought it would be. I could not complete it in my own strength. I didn't have the right wisdom to do it. I encountered some unexpected obstacles, namely drywalling my cat into the wall. Funny story, but think about this figuratively for your own life for a minute. Aren't there times where we, we want to clear out old things for God to do something new, and there's stuff that we just can't shake? We just can't get free, And we need some kind of breakthrough. We need something to happen in order for God to bring the new thing in. This is a verse people always quote at the beginning of a year. It's a great verse, Isaiah 43. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Get rid of the former things. Make way for the new things. So in order to receive the fresh vision, the fresh hope, the fresh promise that God has for us as followers of Jesus in this next season, we've got old things we've got to remove. This is what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.10, this is in the message version. Your job is to pull up and tear down, take apart and demolish, and then start over building and planting. So there's a demolishing, there's a demo day, a taking apart, and then God comes and brings something new. So the purpose of this message is I want to talk about God's demo day in your life. How God is going to remove some old things, and he's going to even begin that work today in some of us, so that the fresh vision, the fresh opportunities, and the fresh promises that God has in this new year, there's space for those things. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, God's demo day. Why don't you pray with me as we look at a story from the scriptures. Jesus, we we do want to look with hope into this new year. Thank you just for the great sense of your presence that we felt as we worshiped. And you are doing a new thing in us, Lord, but we do pray that today would be a day where we can do business with you, where we can leave old stuff aside, where you prepare our hearts for all that's going to happen in 2018. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look a little differently at the scriptures this morning. Scriptures are true, they are true events. And we can study those events. We can see the life of Christ and things he actually did. But we can also study the scriptures in symbolic form and look at them as a parable or a a prophetic symbol for our own life. So we're going to be looking at a miracle that Jesus performed today, and we're going to be studying it symbolically. Although it's something that really happened, we're going to be looking at the symbolic meaning in this miracle. And the miracle is the raising of Lazarus, the raising of the dead from Lazarus. It's found in John chapter 11. So you can turn there with me, pull up your phone. We're going to be reading it in the New Living Translation, and we will have it on the screens, but I'm kind of blocking it, so you you might want to follow along on your phone. If you can, we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture. John chapter 11, 
in the New Living Translation. Here we go, verse 1, here's the context. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is Mary, who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. There's a key word in this passage. The word is sick. <laughs> Lazarus was sick. So the context of this passage is a trial. That's what we're walking into. We're seeing how Jesus works in the midst of a trial in his life and the life of his friends. Lazarus was his friend, so he was going through a trial, Lazarus being sick. Mary and Martha, Lazarus' relatives. We've all had a sick relative in here. That's a trial. It's very common to life, things that we have to deal with and go through in this fallen world. Lazarus himself having to deal with this sickness and not knowing what the outcome would be. This is a trial. But here's what I love about this passage, part of the symbolism. Right at the beginning here of this trial, right when we, we walk into this challenging situation of a sickness, we see there's a promise. And it's hidden in the name of Lazarus. See, Lazarus, the actual meaning of the name is God is my help. God is my help. God is your help in the midst of trials. God is for you. He is working on your behalf, and he desires to help you. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the helper. So as we're walking through life and we encounter trials, there's always a promise from God attached to the trial we experience. There's always a promise from God attached to the trial we experience. It doesn't mean God created the trial. It doesn't mean the trial was his idea. But God will speak to you a promise in the trial. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Your condition in life does not affect your position in God. So what we're going to see is how God demos some things in the life of Lazarus to prepare him for the new life that he has. And we're going to look at this again symbolically. So Lazarus is going to represent our trials, our pain, our disappointments, our suffering, the deaths that we go through in life that are not God's heart for us. And then the resurrection of Lazarus is going to represent the new life that Jesus brings in the midst of those things. Let's keep reading. When Jesus heard about it, the, the sickness, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God will receive glory from this. You know, everything we go through in life, God wants glory from. Amen? So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. So he's speaking parabolically about the situation of light and darkness and death and life. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, well, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Come on, guys. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, and has said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Kind of a bummer of a quote of yours to be kept in the Bible. Poor Thomas, let's go and die with them. I feel bad for Thomas. He has a pretty good quote in the resurrection story, so it balances out. 
Here's the first thing we see, the, 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 the first step in our process of receiving God's demo day is, is God wants to transform our attitude. He wants to transform our attitude about our trials and the challenges that we go through in life. We see several different attitudes portrayed here in this passage. And so, here's the first thing we see. Some of the disciples, their attitude regarding this trial, regarding this sickness. It's a common way that people respond to trials in their life today. The attitude is of avoidance. Or maybe you could say denial. Avoidance or denial. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Like, maybe you've been through a trial in your life, and that literal phrase goes through your mind. Am I going to have to go there again? Like, not again. Am I going to have to go to the doctor again? Am I going to have to forgive that person again? And I'm going to have to deal with that again? Like, really, God, you want to make me go down that road again? Like, surely there's other things you want to work on in my life right now than this, this repeated cycle over and over and over of having to deal with this issue. Come on, God, doesn't time heal all wounds? We know it doesn't, right? <laughs> this is classic avoidance or denial. But here's, here's a hard truth we have to face as followers of Jesus, just as humans. But if we want to be transformed as followers of Jesus, for sure. Sometimes you have to go back to go forward. Sometimes you have to go back to go forward. You can't avoid and deny things that have happened in your past. They will eventually catch up with you. And so sometimes we have to go back to go forward to experience God's demo day. By the way, if we're avoiding our pain, we're really not. It comes out in some kind of way, right? Addictions, uh, even chronic physical illness can be related to different emotional experiences in our life. You can try to cover it up. You can even try to cover it up with religious activity. You can listen to all the podcasts you want and, you know, sing worship songs till you're blue in the face. Those are good. But if you're not vulnerably opening your heart to God and dealing with your life, you're not going to experience the demo. And then you're not going to experience the full reality of being a new creation in Jesus Christ. Here in Southern California, we don't like pain. Chances are if you moved to San Diego from somewhere else, it's probably at least half the room. If you moved to San Diego, you didn't move here for pain. You may have moved here for sunshine. You may have moved here for activities. Like, that's what we like in San Diego. We like fun. We like to be outside. We like hobbies. We like little craft food and craft coffee, and we like to do our little thing and enjoy life and, and just have fun with our friends, but we can't live our life avoiding pain and trials. They will eventually catch up with us. I think a lot of people that end up on the West Coast just are on the West Coast because it was the furthest place they could go. <laughs> There's only ocean after that. Sometimes we're running from something. You know, I was going through a period of my life where God was doing a great heart transformation in me. This was in college, and I was just having to deal with some different issues. And yeah, it was a hard season. I mean, I knew God was in it, but I was really having to go, go some places in my soul and get God's freedom in a way I didn't think I would have to. And during that time in prayer, God gave me just a powerful image in prayer. Call it a vision. And this experience 
I saw myself lying on like an operating table and my heart was open and I was having open heart surgery. Now this had to be God because anytime I even see like blood on a TV doctor show, I like about to faint. So, uh, you know, I knew God was speaking to me because this wasn't something I would normally speak about, think about. And I saw myself lying on this operating table having open heart surgery. And then I began to just kind of see around me. And the first thing I saw was Father God. And he was there in that room and he was orchestrating this process for my healing. He was making sure the room was clean and sanitary and making sure everyone was in the right place at the right time, all the instruments were there. He was kind of orchestrating the surgery and overseeing the process. And I looked to my right in this experience, and then in a chair next to me, I saw Jesus. Jesus was there. What I saw from his arm, there was a clear tube that was attached right to my heart. And I saw his blood flowing through it. And his blood was filling me with grace and strength that I needed for the journey. And then to my left, I I looked and I saw the Holy Spirit. How did I know it was the Holy Spirit? Well, it was a vision, so I don't know. But I, I saw the Holy Spirit. And he was there serving as the lead anesthesiologist. And he was releasing the presence of God over my life and over my heart so I could stay there long enough to get the healing I needed. How many of you know that God is the great physician? Yeah, we don't have to avoid it. This is a church that so values being open and vulnerable, and and we want to be people like that who can give God every part of our hearts. Here's the next wrong attitude we can have about trials or challenges in our lives. Despair. Despair. We see this in the disciples as well. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, well, Let's go too and die with Jesus. I mean, Thomas is basically giving up, right? And sometimes, I know it's funny, but we can approach pain this way. You know, the pain is too much. You know what? Let's just let it die. Let's just let the relationship die. Let's just let the dream die. Let's just let the promise die. Maybe even physically. I just, I can't do it anymore. I'm in despair. I want to give up. I'd rather sit at home, drink my lame decaf coffee, fall into a Netflix show hole, never come out. I'm joking, but despair is a very real issue of the heart, and the enemy can overcome our thoughts and our emotions with despair. But I love what the Bible says. God has given us a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Behold, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For our sake he made him to be sin, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, you are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. You don't have to despair. Your condition in life does not affect your position in God. You don't have to give up. I know we want to sometimes, but but God's on our side. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha and their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Look at your neighbor, please, and say, even now. 
That's the attitude that God calls us to have in the midst of trials and challenges. Even now faith. God wants us to be a people of even now faith. What's that mean? Well, 2017 may have dealt you a hard hand. Maybe it was finances. Maybe it was health. Maybe it was relationship. Maybe just some general disappointment or malaise or frustration about where you are in life. But in these times of transition, what God calls us to do is not give up, not avoid the problem, but step in to even now faith. Like even now, right here, all trends are going the other way. God can still break in. Even now. Joel chapter 2. What I love about some verses in the Old Testament is how they pose questions. And then what happens is the New Testament answers those questions. The answer is always Jesus. Surprise. But Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, Israel is in a time of great crisis. They're about to be invaded by an army. They're about to be totally usurped. And this is what the prophet Joel writes. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Moving down, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind. You see, the world of the Old Testament was the who knows. Maybe, maybe just if we step out in faith, maybe we'll, we'll be good enough. Maybe the things will happen in the right way where God can break in on our behalf. We know we don't deserve it because we've, we've lived under God's standard of performance in the old covenant, but maybe, who knows, God will show us mercy. That's how the reaction of the old covenant. But I love how we see this passage now in the new covenant, in the new life in Jesus Christ. John chapter 11, Martha says, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus looks at her. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Jesus is the answer to the who knows. We know that God will meet us in our even now faith because Jesus has come. Amen? That, that is why we can be a people of persevering faith. It's not faith in our faith. Like if I just have enough faith, God will do something. It's faith in Jesus. It's faith in what Jesus did. That is why when he died on the cross, he said, it was finished. It's not what can I do to make this miracle happen. The Christian life is not do, 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 do. The Christian life is done, 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 done. Jesus did it on our behalf so we can step in to even now faith. God calls us to be a people of persevering faith. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. So we gotta grab hold of that attitude. Sometimes it takes a little time. Sometimes you gotta get off the couch but God will meet you there. Okay, let's move on. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. And here's that famous line from this passage. Jesus told that I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Just an aside, you know, a question I'd love to ask you is, do you believe that today? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? You know, I have a friend, and a few years ago on New Year's Day is actually the day she said, you know what, I'm going to start my New Year over with God. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. What a great decision. It's like God was speaking to her, yes, hey, do you believe on the resurrection and the life? Do you believe this? Everyone who lives in me will never die. If you're someone who's chosen not to make that decision yet, you're still on that journey 
God has a question for you this morning. Do you believe? You can believe today. It's a great day to start that journey. Yes, Lord, she told him, I've always believed you're the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus had stayed outside the village, and we're going to see Jesus outside the village, and then Mary leaves, and Martha is there. And then Mary arrives and saw Jesus. She falls at his feet and says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? So we're called to have this attitude, this even now faith, this persevering faith. And now we're going to see the next step in the journey of Demo Day. Before God, it is very important that we acknowledge the pain of previous seasons. It is very important that we acknowledge the pain of previous seasons. You know, if you go look back at ancient Christian literature, there was a prayer that they prayed at the end of every day. It was called the prayer of examine. What they invited God to do is examine their hearts, and they gave him the unwanted emotions, the challenges of the previous day, so they could start each new day fresh in God's love. I think that's how God wants us to live. He just wants us to carry over things. Of course, it takes time to work through certain things, but I think God wants us to have a short account with him. I think he wants us to acknowledge the pain and suffering that we feel in life and open our heart to him so that he can heal us. Let's read this verse again. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Wow. Jesus is angry. Jesus is troubled. You know, God may feel differently about your pain than you think he does. God is not up in heaven orchestrating challenging circumstances to teach you a lesson. That is not his job description. Jesus said, I am a savior. So he came into our circumstances to rescue us. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. One of the most healing things we can realize about our pain is how God feels about it. God was troubled. Jesus was angry. He, he entered into the process. Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is not against you. He wants your good success. But you have to open your life to him. You have to acknowledge the unwanted, the challenging emotions, the things that you carry in life before him in order for him to come in and heal you. Amen? Great. You might be familiar with the story from Christian history of Jim uh, or Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot was a missionary uh, and his wife Elizabeth in the early 1900s, and it was back when they were still discovering tribes. So they didn't have all the peoples of the world mapped out, and they would find these lost tribes in the jungle. And Jim Elliot and his wife, they went to South America to minister to a lost tribe. They had a group of young men that went with them. And it ended in a real tragedy. Uh, many of them actually died. They were killed by the very people they went to minister to. And Life Magazine did a huge story on it. And, you know, people were wondering, how could people sacrifice themselves this kind of way for, you know, people they don't even know? Wow, what, what an amazing journey. It, it's very stirring to think about living that kind of life, that kind of sacrifice. But the amazing part of the story is the life of Elizabeth Elliot. 
Elizabeth Elliot actually went back. She went back to that tribe, the tribe that killed her husband. She went back to them to minister the love of God. She lived amongst them. She taught them about Jesus. And this is what Elizabeth Elliot said. She said, I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I'm very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us. In my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. We need to have an attitude that God is for us, but then we have to acknowledge our pain and our suffering before God. Hello? So one of the symbols of this passage is Bethany. That's the name of this town, Bethany, where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live. What does Bethany mean? Bethany means house of figs. You're probably wondering why I mentioned that. So if you look at figs through the Bible, figs are a symbol for religious shame. What happened in the book of Genesis? Adam and Eve sinned, and then what did they do? They covered themselves with fig leaves. Jesus cursed a fig tree. The fig tree is used as a symbol of religious activity, religious shame, all throughout the Old Testament. So a house of figs is a place where you go to hide and to not acknowledge yourself before God because of fear of punishment or religious fame, shame. But that's not how God calls us to live in his kingdom, is it? He wants us to be people that are open and vulnerable. Let's continue as Jesus enters into the pain of Lazarus and his family. Jesus was still angry. As he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told him. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Okay, so we're going to have the right attitude about God's character. We're going to be people that get real with God and each other. We're going to acknowledge our pain. Just like those saints uh, of old I was talking about, that each day would pray and give those negative experiences to God as they went to bed. But here, here's the next thing. In order to experience God's demo day, in order for God to remove the things of old, to bring in the fresh life of this next year, we have to give Jesus access. We have to give Jesus access to begin the process of transformation. This is really interesting. Jesus speaks to these people in Bethany, and he says, roll the stone aside. Roll the stone aside. Can you think of another time that a stone rolled aside for Jesus? The resurrection. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus need any help that day? Did he need anyone to roll the stone aside for him that day? No. He had two angels do it for him. So why did Jesus ask the people to roll the stone aside that day? Jesus wants permission. Jesus wants permission to come into our lives and bring us freedom. It's our job to give him access. Revelation talks about this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's what God wants. He wants the open door to our heart. He wants the access to our life that he needs to remove the old things and bring the new life that he has promised in Jesus Christ. Jesus tells them to roll the stone aside. Martha protests. Jesus responds, didn't I tell you? Don't you believe? And we keep reading all this talk about belief. This is why God is working in the life of this family. He's building their strength. He's building their testimony. He's preparing them to see the glory of God. 
you know, Lazarus would go on, the early church believes, to become a bishop of many cities and see God move in many different places after this resurrection. God was doing something in this family, preparing them for great things. For Jesus to bring new life, to demo the old, to bring a breakthrough, we have to invite him in. We have an action. We have a part to play. It's not a big one. He just wants us to open the door. But if we open the door, he can do his work. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. That's awesome. That would have been a good conference to be at. World Mandate West will be good too. All right. Wow, this is amazing. So give God access into our life. He does miracles. There's not a house that Jesus showed up in the Bible and something amazing didn't happen. Give God access. You know, just like my kitchen, you cannot accomplish your demo day on your own. Lazarus could not raise himself from the dead in his own strength. But with Jesus, all things are possible. So let me break down some of the symbolism of this passage, just as the band kind of comes up. We're going to end with a time of biblical meditation. But as we do that, let me break down some of the symbolism of this passage. Lazarus, it means God is my helper. You cannot accomplish Demote on your own. Jesus has to remove the old things of your life to prepare you for something new. Bethany, it means house of figs. God wants us to step out of religious shame and hiding and be real. That's why get real is one of the values of this church. That's why we're a people that want to be open and vulnerable. The stone that covers the tomb, the stone of death. Where is another time in the Bible we see a stone of death? Well, 2 Corinthians 3 says this, now the ministry of death that was carved on stones. That speaks of the old covenant. That speaks of the religious standard that was in place at that time that no one could live up to. We have to be willing to, to roll aside our desire for perfection if we're going to see God accomplish his demo day in our heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like demo day is not perfect. Like you're pulling up the floor and then there's a subfloor. And you're pulling up the subfloor and then there's some laminate floor. And then there's another laminate floor. And then at my house, the guy that built my house had like the world's first nail gun. And he put nails in the whole floor. So I was just down there for hours ripping out the floor. You pull open a wall, and then there's knob and tube electric. All that's got to be replaced. And then you start looking around, and there's no insulation. And then there's a bird living up there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. we got to be willing to cast aside that desire for religious perfection. We'll never measure up to it. But if we're willing to roll away that stone, we can come out and be real. The stench of Lazarus. What's the stench represent? The stench represents uncleanness. Every time in the Bible you see a stench in the Old Testament in terms of the offerings, it had to do with uncleanness. Listen, if God's going to demo the old stuff in our life, we've got to be real and we've got to be willing to smell bad. Hello? The grave clothes. Isaiah 64. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. The grave clothes represents the works that we do to try to cover ourselves and improve ourselves outside of the power and grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, a lot of people are going to wake up tomorrow and they're going to write down New Year's resolutions. 
They're going to write plans down for their year. But those plans are going to be faulty. And let me tell you why. Because they're going to be based on their strength and their power and not God's grace, God's word, and his power. We've got to rip off our grave clothes. By the way, just think about the resurrection Easter Sunday. What did Jesus do with his grave clothes? He just folded them right in the corner. He's the only one that can take the grave clothes off of himself. In our lives, we need the power of God, and we need other people. You following me? Yeah, just the symbolism is amazing. And then, well, what's, what's the message here? We cannot accomplish our own devotee. We need the grace and the power of God. I want to end just with this biblical meditation. I just want you to put yourself in Lazarus's mind. Put yourself in his body. Make your eyes his eyes. Just use your sanctified ma- imagination. Just imagine this. You're sick. You don't know what's going to happen. Where is your friend Jesus? There's fear. There's frustration. There's sadness. All of a sudden, the lights go dim. The lights close. And then all of a sudden, they open. You can't see anything because you're covered in grave clothes. You think you might have just died and come back to life. You're not sure. And you start to smell. You smell the, the musty tomb. Just not really a good smell, probably. Maybe there's other dead bodies in there. And you're trying to move, and you're restrained. You're like a mummy trying to figure out what to do. You can't move yourself. And then all of a sudden, on the other side of a wall, cold, damp wall, you hear a voice. Lazarus, come forth. You can probably barely hear it. Lazarus, come forth. And you, you, you try to stand up, stand up. You can't find your way, and you, you stumble around. Maybe you're putting your hand on a wall, trying to find an opening, and then you hear something rolling. As people are pushing as hard as they can, and although your face is covered, you kind of see the leak of light kind of come in to, to the room that you're at, and you just start to walk through the light. Lazarus, come forth. That first voice you're hearing just the, the, the voice of Jesus. And, and you start to try to find your way towards that voice, but you can barely move. And, and Jesus speaks again. He says, take off those grave clothes and let him go. And then people around you start kind of pulling stuff off your arms and your legs and your face. They're pulling off these, these old bandages. And, and, and then all of a sudden you open your eyes. It's all light. Your eyes kind of adjust. What's the first thing you see? It's the face of Jesus. It's love. It's acceptance. It's grace. You know, there's so many practical things we can do to invite God into our life, but but, but this morning, I think my heart for you would be that you would have a grace awakening. That, that you would understand, I can't accomplish my transformation in my own strength. I can't bring myself back to life. I can't move away the stone. I can't tear off the grave clothes. I've got to have an attitude of faith, believing God. I've got to acknowledge my pain and, and let Jesus in. And if I give him access, his spirit will blow into my life this year. Blow away the old things and bring in the new. Will you stand up with me? And I just believe that God wants to do a demo day today. And I believe that 
that God might be saying to us, come forth. So if you're somebody this year that, that really, you just need to leave last year behind. Maybe it was a year of illness. Maybe it was a year of pain, a year of frustration. Maybe it was just a year where your goals did not get accomplished and you're at the end of your own strength. And you're saying, this morning, I'm having a grace awakening. I can't do this in my own strength. I need the grace of God. I just wanna come invite you to come down in the front. We're, we're not gonna have a prayer team down here. This is just your time with God. I just wanna invite you to move now, to start walking down to the front. One thing I love about this church is we have a responsive church. People always wanna to respond to what God's doing. So just respond, we'll give it some time. This is just you putting yourself in as Lazarus, just saying, I'm coming forth. I'm coming forth right now. I'm coming out of my tomb. God, you're doing a great work of demolition in my life today. I'm putting the old stuff behind so the new stuff can come. Lord, we say right now, chronic pain from last year, leave bodies now in Jesus' name. Chronic pain, especially around metal, your body or in your neck. Leave now in Jesus' name. Lord, we say grief and disappointment. God, we open up our hearts. We say we don't need it anymore. We give it to you, God. We're doing business with you right now, just like a river. Flood through our minds, Lord, and start to clean out the memories, the regrets, the things we wish we hadn't said, the things that didn't work out. Unzip our hearts, the suitcase of our hearts, and just take our dirty laundry. Take our filthy rags, Lord. Take the way we support ourselves in our own strength. We're having a grace awakening today. We're coming forth. You're doing a demo day. You're doing a new thing in this next year. In Jesus' name, lead us, man. You came. He came on our behalf. He came to demo the darkness, the despair of your life, and he brought new life.